To me, the best podcasts are the ones that are conversational. In today's episode of Higher Learning, I dive in with Annabelle Sang, VP of Sales Effectiveness at Keurig Dr. Pepper, around all things hiring, team building, and life. Annabelle is formerly of Pepsi and has spent her entire career in CPG and has so much to say about effort and impact, how do you grow a team, and what are the best places to visit and travel and what she's learned from all the places she's been. Annabelle is a fantastic speaker and guest, and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid. Today, my friends, we have a very special guest. Today, we have Annabelle Sang. She is the VP of Sales Effectiveness at Carrick Dr. Pepper. Annabelle, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm always so excited to talk to you. I was introduced to you through a mutual contact, I think, close to a year ago now. And our conversations yep. have always been amazing. And so I want to dive in. I want to tell a little bit of your story. And then, of course, we want to talk about my passion, great hiring and what makes great hiring. So you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, let's do this. Let's start here. You immigrated to this country from Hong Kong. And I grew up with Southeast Asian parents. And I know what that can be like, especially when they come to this country and you're kind of absorbing and moving into this country and building into this culture. I'm interested to know a little bit about that part of the journey. What can you tell me about when you came to this country and what the differences were and 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 give me that kind of background? Yeah, I was seven years old when I moved from Hong Kong to San Francisco, California. Um, my mother uh, was married uh, with my dad, um, me as her firstborn and my little sister who was five years younger. So I was seven, she was two. Uh, she had a sister, she had several sisters in California, and she got sponsored through family to immigrate to the United States so they could be together. And that's how I ended up here. Um, you know, when you're seven, you don't know the same different. You're just trying to fit in. And uh, in, in Hong Kong, the, you know, the big difference is the English you learn in school as a child is British English because we were we were a British colony and American English is very different. So, you know, I say rubber, you say paste um, would be one example. So in the beginning, it was just learning the language and fitting in and, um, you know, just experiencing childhood. Sure. And so do you go back to Hong Kong or how often do you travel back? Do you still have No, I don't. Um most of the my 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 mother was one of the last to go abroad so by then um most of my grandparents had passed my um family in hong kong is minimal and getting smaller and smaller in numbers so family is really just little tiny you know foursome of me mom dad beatrice who's now married with her own kids and everybody's in California, and I'm here in Texas. I love it. So you went to UC Davis. Your career has yep. been in sales effectiveness. What can you tell me about how you got interested in this space? What kind of drew yep. you to this space? Was this something you knew right when you came out of school, or is that something that kind of over time evolved? No, I didn't know what I want to do. Um, you, I was not a dreamer when I was a child. I, I think I had like superficial aspirations of, I remember wanting to be a dolphin trainer because I watched a movie. I uh, thought about being a park ranger because I met one when I was in Girl Scouts, but I wasn't really serious about academics. Um, I did fine. I graduated high school with a 4.2 GPA. 
was fine. I, you know, it was fine. I, I went to UC Davis. I did okay. I, I failed stats, had to retake it. So I knew math wasn't for me. <laughs> but one thing I did know is if I wanted to go to school and not come out and have a life and I didn't have any money provided to me, I had, I had to go earn it. So from teenager years till adulthood, I was really good at finding a job, doing well, earning money, and then progressing and building off of whatever skills I gained. Okay, I got to so, interject there. Let's let's yeah. dive in. What was your first job? My first job, I was 12 years old. I was a waitress for my mom's diner. Stop it. So you are a 12-year-old waitress at your mom's diner. Is it traditional fare, just like eggs, bacon, coffee type thing or yeah. anything? Okay. Yeah, it'd be, you know, you want an omelet? I asked you, would you would you like regular eggs, egg whites, or would you like egg beaters? Would you like cheddar cheese, American Swiss? Wow, would you... it's like you were there yesterday. You got Exactly. You got yeah. Would you like any cream with that coffee? How many sugars would you like? Um, All right, I got to ask a few questions. So did you get any customers <laughs> being like, how old are you? Should Are you old enough in the state of California to be serving? Oh, for sure. You know, at that time, I am... Um, it, someone can take a look around and realize, oh, this is the family business. Um, but I was one of those kids that always like acted mature and not in a pretentious way, but that's just kind of how I was spat out. So it was fun. Um, I didn't make any money, but I'd get thrown like a five now and then, and I'd save that and do something fun. Okay. So I got to ask you, do you think that any of the skills that you learned in customer service, have they enabled your ability to be effective in your corporate roles going forward? Or what did you learn from that that kind of helped you as a professional going forward? I would tell you growing up, you don't think anything relates to anything until it does. Um, looking back, learning to speak to strangers and have confidence around adults at such a young age probably contributed to my ability to grow as a leader in corporate America. Because when you're 12, you haven't, you don't have anything figured out. And I've been assigned, you know, a, a role to play in a restaurant environment. I'm provided a literal menu of options to narrow down with a customer I have to troubleshoot issues, anticipate, learn how to talk to people differently and have a little motivation earning a nice tip at the end of the day, which means you got to deal with customer satisfaction. So uh, I definitely think that level of interaction at such a young age made it easier for me to talk to people as I got older. So this isn't a parenting podcast, but we'll take a little bit on the side here. I totally agree with you. I do this with my kids all the time in terms of when they want something or that a restaurant, we'll make them order. If something's wrong, we'll make them go back up to the counter. We have them talking to strangers, obviously, in secured environments as much as possible with parents around because we believe strongly that this enables them to have more confidence and say what they think and feel. And we try to do that from a young age. It's funny. If I take a little bit of my background into this. So my mom is Southeast Asian. My dad is German. They could not be two more different people. I don't I don't know how these people were in the same room, let alone got married and had me as a child. My dad is like super progressive and, and liberal out there. My mom is somewhat more conservative, not in like the political spectrum, just in terms of the way they live their life. And I remember my dad, he would always be wanting to push me out there to do things. When I was like young, we would go to, I lived in Los Angeles. So we used to go to Angel yeah. Games. And he, like, I'd be five, six years old. And I'd be like, dad, I want a hot dog. I want a Slurpee. I want, you know, something at the game. And he'd be like, okay here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down and you see that, that blonde girl down there. I want you to go ask her out on a date. 
And I would just be like, sure, I want a hot dog. I'm going to go do that. So I would go run down there. And then he would see me from far away. And you would see all of a sudden this girl react like this with this little six-year-old boy asking her on a date. And then I would come back and be like, where's my hot dog? And so at the time, I mean, I think I thought it was funny. My dad loves to tell that story to people. But I think it emboldened me a lot to be, I don't know, a podcast host, a CEO, a founder, and that I have this kind of internal confidence about my ability to talk to people. So I just think your story from when you were 12 and my story when I was you know, much younger myself putting your kids in a position where they're a little bit uncomfortable or they're having to say what they feel and talk to strangers can be a good thing. Agreed? Agreed. Okay. So like, let's talk about this. Then you went to UC Davis. What did you major in at UC Davis? Communications. Should have known. Was that something that you knew right away or was that something that took you a couple of years and then you moved into communications? No, I took a year undeclared, declared communications, no clue what I want to do. It was vague enough. It could take me different places. So it was not particularly intentional at all. Okay. What was the best part of your college experience? The best part of my college experience is learning who I was away from my family and learning to build an identity Okay. that was more, you know, personal to who I was as a growing person and what my interests were. And the second thing is, I would say, you know, I'm a curious person learning. I don't know. There's like no like critical life skill you get out of college. What you learn in four years is what you like and what you don't like and why. Yeah. So listen, I know a lot of people who go through that experience who don't actually come out with that. In fact, I know some 35 year olds that aren't really sure what they like and what they don't like and why. I was very intentional about that when I went to college too. I wanted to find out you know, whether it be somebody I'm dating, whether it be what I like learning about, whether it be what I like in a job, what I value in a friendship. And I was constantly asking myself these questions. Why? Why do I feel this way? Why? Why? What does this mean for me? Were you intentional about it? Like, did you, were you like having an internal narrative around kind of figuring yourself out? Do you have any kind of no. memory no. of that? No, no. Here's what I was doing. I, my first year was sharing a bedroom with another girl off campus in an apartment because I couldn't afford to stay in a dorm because it was actually more expensive to get a meal card, et cetera. I was focused on like making sure I process my student loan forms on time, um, looking for jobs I could, you know, take on while going to school, um, which meant working evenings and weekends. I was just trying to survive and also have a good time and party a little bit in between and make friends and go shopping. So the whole thing was kind of a blur. There wasn't very much downtime. So there was no framing. There was no strategic plan. There was no vision. It was just, you got to get this thing done in four years, figure it out from there. Okay. Did you get your first job out of college right away or did that take some time? Um, I, I had my first job before I graduated. I, I worked throughout school and a lot of companies like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, if you have the ability to take the summer off and play great, that was not my circumstance and it ended up paying off. I had gotten really great internships at companies that beefed up my resume. I worked on campus. I even ended up in a management job. And by the time I started interviewing at career fairs, I found companies that were really attracted to the work ethic. So um, the, I think, you know, summer of my, or no, I think by the end of my junior year, I had an offer in my hand. I knew what I was going to do after I graduated. Took some time off to travel before, before I started that job. And that kicked off a career in consumer goods. 
I love that. And so listen, I want to talk more about what makes an effective interview to you and how you you, you obviously had a special skill there that got you opportunities and then you kicked the door open from there. We'll get back to that. I do want to talk about uh, a couple other things. So I know you've traveled a lot. One of the things I love about our conversations is some of your life philosophies. You know, I think you went to Japan, you told me this summer, and I think you went with your family, had kind of a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a spiritual experience. And I remember you told me before I left for my own international trip that you know, don't go there and just take a bunch of pictures, try to live in the moment, try to experience it, try to experience the culture and the locals. Um, and don't be so displaced in the moment when you're traveling internationally. Um, walk me through that a little bit, because that was great advice. I took yeah. it experience so much better. Yeah, the way I traveled at different times of my life with different resources and different amounts of knowledge has definitely evolved. And I remember, do you remember growing up, Oz, people have the saying, you know, the haves and the have nots. Sure. It's the people who have things and the people who don't have things. And then it started morphing into the has-beens and have-not-beens. Mm. It's where have you been versus what you have. Mm. You know, hence the saying, you know, consumer insights people talk about millennials want experiences, not things. Millennials, you know, I'm elder millennial and I don't, I didn't really have grand visions of the biggest house, the fanciest car. Honest to God, I was driving a 2006 Honda forever, over a decade. And people get in thinking, oh, you could do better than this. I was like, I could, but I don't want to. So for me, experiences are really important. And something that in society propel this whole, where have you been versus what have you got is Instagram. And everybody decided to have an Instagrammable moment. And I definitely did that. You know, you go on Instagram, something is so salivatingly beautiful. You want to replicate it or you want your Instagram grid, you know, to have the perfectly curated thing. And you've also heard the term Instagram versus reality, mm -hmm. which means they're not the same and they are different things. But when I started traveling a lot more, I realized I'm in Bali at the Bali Swing, which is a famous place where different stations, there's beautiful swings and you have these gorgeous views of the jungle. And before you get on the swing, there's a station where you go pay more money after your admission to go rent dresses to wear so that when you're in the swing, you can look like a floating goddess. And then each of the attendants, it's kind of like going to amusement park, different stations. The attendants at each station know every single camera trick about every iPhone model and every Android. And they do amazing things. And I realized looking around this jungle, people in costumes and taking pictures and no one's really actually looking at the jungle. They're looking at the camera, at the guy who's telling them how to pose. And uh, I met a couple who was on their honeymoon and the woman referred to her husband as her Instagram husband. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, well, he got me because he has to travel, take me to places and take pictures of me. And it just became, it went from aspirational to shallow. And it's a fine line because we deserve nice things and we deserve nice pictures of ourselves when we're having a good time. But I just started noticing, you know, five years, it was just getting excessive. Yeah, I got to tell you, like, first off, to me, there's this concept of enough. Like, do you have enough? Do you need to keep like yes. have this wild ambition to keep getting more and acquiring more? Like there's some sort of life scoreboard that people are keeping track of and you're winning or losing. I, I do not prescribe to that. But I think when you told me that and I, I went to France and so we visited 
um, the Opera House, Versailles, the Eiffel Tower. I cannot tell you how many people I saw. My kids were there, no iPads. We very much limited phone time between me and my wife. We took some pictures, but like, I can't tell you how many 14, 15, 16, 20, 22 year old, 25 year old girls were there just posing and doing all these different things. And you had these poor boyfriends or whatever they are sitting there taking pictures or their other friends. And literally it would be stop after stop after stop. You would see it five or 10 times. And so it's like, the moment is not to be experienced. The moment is to be captured, is to be uh, put into a memoriam and so that we can have this Instagram picture. So I was glad you said that to me. I've never been a big, I'm not a big Instagram guy as it is, but you really made me understand. Let me enjoy the food. Let me enjoy the people I'm with. Let me enjoy the experience instead of trying to record it so I can show people what's going on. In fact, I think I said I did some pictures at the end, but it was very limited what I put out there. And it certainly was only for my own. I want to go back and look at this and remember it and be able to do that. So I think it was really, really good advice. And I think I hope that. Well, it's only because of your great advice. And listen, I hope there's some future influencers who are listening to this and saying, you know what? Annabelle is right. I need to live in the moment. I need to worry about the moment. I don't need to worry about the picture. So I really love that. One more thing I want to talk to you about before we get into the actual hiring aspect of the podcast is you travel a lot and you also have moved a lot. I know you live in Manhattan. And then I think a week before COVID broke out, you'd move to Texas. So tell me, like, walk me through that timeline right there. You're living in the hustling, bustling city. Now you're in Frisco, Texas. What kind of led to that decision? And then like, it's got to be hard to meet people when you move somewhere, right? When we have the only yeah. pandemic of my life. So tell us about it. Yeah, I, I, I started my job here at Curry Dr. Pepper, March 9th of 2020. And I, I go to the office. I connect with my manager. I get my picture taken for my badge. I not Instagram. to register. No, not the Instagram. You know, I get the welcome packet. I fill out the forms. All that stuff is a new hire. And by the end of the week, there's a memo sent out saying, don't come back to the office. And my plan was me, my backpack and my carry-on would be here for two weeks, find a place to live and then take my time, you know, with moving out of Manhattan coming here. I never went back for three months. I ended up living in a hotel here at that time, at the height of COVID, California and New York were at the height of what we were reading and it was scary stuff. Um, Texas is, you know, a different dynamic. Big houses, wide open spaces, not super concentrated urban environment. So while it would have been nice to be with family in Cali or to go back to a place I loved in New York, the logical decision was to stay in place where there was not as much of a spread. And I ended up living in a hotel for three months until I was able to move into an apartment nearby. Three months in a hotel in a new city, in a new place. Did you catch up on a lot of Netflix? Did you just work your butt off? Like what did you oh, yeah. I did all of it. I watched all the Tiger King. Um, Last Dance, Michael Jordan? No, I didn't. Oh. I heard good things about that I one. Know. I didn't hit that one, but can't remember what else. But yeah, I, I watched a lot. I mean, there's only so much you can numb yourself out to. Um, I, I, I played, I gamified my survival in that hotel room because remember, it's a nice place and I had good space in a suite, but... There's no bar, there's no cafe, there's no restaurant, there's no room service. So take everything you normally have access to in a normal full service rest, uh, hotel and remove it and it's empty. So 
you know, you learn to appreciate different things because everyone's going through the same stuff around the world. So there's no pity party for me. And look, I was grateful. I, I was in a situation where I had housing and I didn't have to worry. I had, I'm a stranger in a new place, but the hotel staff became my security. Wow. And we all learned to know each other's first names and maybe occasionally sit down for a meal together. And you're no longer staff and client for a while. You're just human beings sharing space and trying to move on to the next day. Oh, so I learned to just make the most of it. Um, I, I did learn what everybody else did, which is no friends and family for that long period of time is brutal. For sure. I got I gotta yeah. I gotta ask you something. So um fascinating by the way. And like I think everyone's getting flashbacks and memories to their first months in COVID and what they were coming. I, I remember all the different thoughts yep. I had. I remember thinking in my head, well, I, one thing is when we left, right? I, I had been kind of on on in the news and I had kind of like really kind of locked in and said this is gonna be a problem much earlier on than most of my employees or my friends at the time. So I had been following it pretty closely. In fact, I was wearing masks on airplanes back in February because I was already concerned about spread. Mm -hmm. But I remember when we left the office here, it was probably around mid-March. And I remember like we were all leaving and I told everybody, hey, you might want to grab your screens and grab your speakers and things like that and take them home with you. We might be out a couple of weeks. And I remember people just being incredulous, being like, a couple of weeks? Are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I think this is going to be a little bit longer than we think. And then two years later, we ended up coming back to the office. And so I, I remember once I realized what it was and what it was going to be, I said, I'm going to make this, you know, and then a lot of people suffered and there was a lot of bad things that happened. But I think some people had some, you know, some positives out of it. I made sure that I was going to make it work for me um, and not work against me. So everything from spending more time with my family to losing 60 pounds to, you know, I was casually smoking cigarettes at the time. I cut that all the way out and started reading reading uh, as much as I wanted to. And so I tried to make it work for me as much as I could. There was a lot of isolation. It did, you know, there's ways it impacted the company that I, that I had to be, you know, on top of. But overall, it was something that gave me a lot of perspective. And to your point, you know, it made me really value the people I had around me. It really had me not take for granted the things that I think I had taken it for granted previously. And I do think it brought the world together a little bit because you knew that people all across the world were dealing with similar feelings and and, and similar issues, right? Um, I want to ask you real quickly, because you've lived in some pretty, you know, incredible places around the country, California, New York, and Texas. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I didn't prep you for this. I want to know the best thing and the worst thing about each place. So let's start- Ooh. In California, what's the best thing about California? And you can't say family. You can't say like family, but it's got to be like something about the locale. So okay, what's the okay. best thing and worst thing about California? I was going to say my family, but since that's assumed, um, California's dynamic in uh, what it has to offer. You can reach snow, mountain, sand, ocean, lake, in such a short amount, in a matter of hours. You can change your scenery and it's beautiful scenery. It's it's real scenery, giant tall redwoods to, you know, surfing in Santa Monica. I don't, but many do, to snowboarding or skiing in Lake Tahoe or Big Bear. Big Bear, yep. To partying in the middle of the desert for, you know, Coachella. There is something in the terrain for everyone and you are within the same state. It's one big state with so much to offer from an outdoors perspective that fosters a lot of different activities and community. 
you, you cannot, there aren't that many states, one of that size, one of that economic strength and one of that level of beauty. It's just, I mean, wine country, right? It's just, the list goes on and on. Everything you could want is in California. Yeah. The one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say about that is it's even also like close from a state perspective. Like you can go to Las Vegas, you can go to Mexico, my home, yep. my, what I consider my home now of Arizona. I grew up in Southern California, but um, you know, Arizona has a lot to offer as well. Colorado is really great. Like the thing about Florida is I love Florida. But my God, I got to drive like seven hours to get out. Like, say, what beach do I want to go to, right? If we're going to take a car right. trip as far as so right. I really do miss that aspect of California and the different terrains. What about the worst thing? The worst thing, is it too obvious to say the cost of living? No, that's, I mean, that's definitely the worst thing about it. The cost of living, the taxes, those are really tough. What about New York? What's the best part about living in the city? The convenience and you have a combination of never ending arts and culture and you know this the magic of manhattan you say i'm going to walk out and run errands and you end up doing 75 really cool things and bumping into people meeting new people you know checking out a pop up event the this that's what I, the magic like what you think your day is going to be and what it ends up being could be com completely different and in wonderful ways Ooh, I love that and it's hard to get uh in two blocks walking distance access to your post office fire department um nail salon grocery store starbucks vet uh doctor gym Pilates studio you name it in two blocks you can have all of it amazing what about downsides uh it's the same as california it's an expensive life okay texas you live in the yeah. dallas area right best part uh best part because there is no walkability and everybody has to drive from point a to point b the people i've met here are more intentional about the way they spend their time socially mm. there is no magic moment of bumping into something it's you know, um, I have a three o'clock with Oz today, and that is the only thing I'm going to do at three o'clock. And oh my, my eyes cannot scan. There will be no better offer I'm waiting for. That's the one thing I'm going to commit to. Um, so I think people are more intentional here socially. I like that. And they're less flaky versus in urban areas. There's so many options. It's easy to be tempted by something better that comes along and then you're, you know, sad because your your friend can't meet you for brunch anymore because someone got tickets to, you know, XYZ. the next thing. Yeah, next, love exactly. it. Exactly. So people are more intentional here. All right. And downside? Downside, um, you don't have anything I said New York and California does. Uh, the downside is Dallas is, or this area, this, you know, greater Dallas or DFW area, most of the stuff around me is manufactured. You know, the benefit is you have land. The downside is you have to create with it, mm. which means nothing is natural. So, you know, the downside is there's no walkability and you have to, you know, travel a little bit further to get to things you want to see. So there is some college student right now who's listening to this podcast who is looking between offers in California, New York, and Texas, and then just heard all of the pros and cons. And now you're going to enable them to make an amazing decision I hope so. The pros and cons for to every to everything for sure. I love the perspective. All right, we got to talk about hiring because that's my thing and that's what I want to know about. Okay, so let's, let's let's start here. You've hired people throughout your career, multiple companies. Sure. You've been in the consumer sure. goods industry. 
What is a core hiring philosophy for you? What is something that, you know, whether it be how you approach the, the hiring process or what you're looking for in people you hire, what's a core philosophy for you? Uh, hire for potential, not skill. Okay. Elaborate on that for me. You know, I learned this, we're all on, you know, for those of us in industries that are public, most of us are on LinkedIn. Most of us get hit up by recruiters here and there throughout our careers. Hate those guys. You know what recruiters want? They want what their client asks them to go find, which Mm. is a description of skills and expertise. What recruiters don't do is imagine the potential of this person in another role, another five years with that company. So I learned early on the wrong way to hire is just find the person for the job for now. And sometimes when you find the perfect resume to match the perfect job description, that tends to be the extent of what you get and no more. Mm. So that was probably at one point what I look for. And now I look for potential. I look for will and skill. I look for, are you a good cultural fit? Do you get the spirit of what I just said or do I have to be precise? Can you feel the vision and the passion in my voice about what we're trying to achieve and imagine yourself becoming a part of the team to help reach that vision? Or do I need to just give you your exact piece of the team and you will do that and no more? And some people really need some uh, extreme clarity and extreme black and white scope. That's okay. There are jobs that are going to be super clear and black and white. They tend not to be one we're going to advance, you know, um, long term. And then there are people who can live in the gray. And as somebody who's managed both frontline hourly workers and middle management up to, you know, director, senior director level folks who've worked for me. I've learned uh, hiring with an eye for potential and interests and what this person could do versus proving to me the candidate versus the candidate proving to me what they have done um, is, is, is tends to be a better approach. Now you, you got to have some skill, right? Oz, you got to have relevant experience, but hiring for um, I, I, most of my recent hires have been um, people who have never done their, this exact job before. So what does that do for you from an onboarding and training perspective though? It puts a lot more emphasis on that, I imagine, right? Oh, for sure. And they become a part of the creation mm. of the onboarding experience. And it puts people more in the driver's seat when it's a little bit more ambiguous. And this is not comfortable for everybody, by the way. It's really scary for some people. Some people just want, what do you want from me? Tell me how to do it. And when do you need it done by? Some people just need that versus I have a deadline and I have direction, but along the way, I want you to kind of just use these guardrails, figure it out, maybe even come up with something better and let's check in once a week and talk about it. Mm. And that's more of what works for me right now. I love that. All right. So if I ask you about a memorable interview experience, either you interviewing somebody or maybe you going on an interview, bad, good, don't got to name names, obviously, but like, does anything come to mind? Memorable interview experience. Um, I had a really memorably bad one. Go, let's hear it. Those are the best ones. And this person, it, in general, I think he was just in love with himself. And mm. 
demonstrated the ability to go on and on and on about what he's done. Need that. Why he's amazing. Need a little bit of that. And within the hour we had was had spent more time talking about effort versus impact. We've all heard this, Oz. Man, I'm exhausted. I've been working around the clock. I am so back to back today. Don't you hear that from, oh my God, I'm so back to back. So what? Is anybody not back to back? Versus, I've got a big problem to solve today. This is the day I got to shut the door and focus. I'll see you guys in a minute. Yeah, oh. I'm going to say something that's maybe a little unpopular, but whenever I have somebody that's consistently telling me, like, listen, I'm busy. Everybody's yeah. busy. You got any yeah. type of impact in your work? You're doing a lot of work. I tend not to talk about it. I just want to focus, put my head down, do the work. But if somebody's telling me all the time how they're all out of time, they're back to back, it's so hectic on a long enough timeline, I just start to think, well, you're not managing your time very well. You're not prioritizing exactly. your time very well, right? Or you're spending too much time talking about what you like how you're feeling about what you're doing rather than actually doing work so for me like you know that, right. that's kind of what i take away and what i try to have be our less part of our culture at this company is like do the work don't talk about it type of thing so and you know that's the worst right. part is this guy i'm sure walked out of the interview just thinking that he crushed it he's like oh my god i got this job 100 percent, right because they usually yeah. like awareness when you have that much narcissism and overconfidence i would say right Oh, oh, for, oh, oh, for sure. For sure. But I, by the way, I agree with you. I mean, there's a little bit of look, we, we're all human. You have a bad day. I have no problem being human saying I said this yesterday in the meeting. So team, forgive me, I'm exhausted landed late last night. That's a human moment. That's saying Annabelle's asking for some grace. She's not at her best in this moment. That's okay. But I can't make my problem someone else's problem. That's yeah. not okay. Yeah, it can be, like, it's not the point of the conversation. Maybe it's like you said, building a little vulnerability or maybe giving people sure. clarifying with expectations. I love that. I think you're totally right. What about a favorite question that you love to ask? Do you have one that's like a go-to in your interviews? Yeah, I do. Uh, one of my, my favorite quality in selecting team members for a dream team is their sense of curiosity. Mm. So how do you, what, what do you ask to kind of dive into that? You know, it's it's not super complicated. I ask simple things like, tell me, uh, most people don't know everything before they come into a job. And I tend to ask questions about what they're going to ask about. So, hey, I, I know you haven't done this before, but you seem like you might be a great fit. But what are some pieces of information you think you need in the next 90 days to get the full picture? So asking for good questions from an uh, a potential hire tells you a lot about their curiosity because not having questions is lack of curiosity and potentially dangerous in their presumptuous nature of what they think the role or the mission is going to be. Okay, so let's talk about that. Maybe, you know, and we all do this at, usually at the end of interviews. What kind of questions do you have for me? What are the type of questions that you're like, ooh, I like that? Or is it specific? Is it detailed? Does it show that they get, did research? Is it something that makes you think about things in a different way? What what, what kind of yeah. stands out people ask some questions? Um, here's what I would say. Um, oh, I do have a question, Oz. Um, I understand the vision and I know it's going to take some time to get there. Can you give me an example of a short-term quick win Versus an aspirational win. Ooh, you know like what I'm really asking for is, do you know what it means to validate I've delivered a short-term goal 
to earn the ability for another opportunity with a bigger long-term goal. Love that. Oh, that's good. That's some, someone's going to steal that. I'm writing that down. I might use that. That's good. All right. Let me ask you this. We all miss on people from time to time. When you miss on a hire, is there some sort of theme or some, some sort of through line that you can look back on and be like, dang, I wish I would have done this or dang, this is something I didn't know. Anything that comes to mind? Uh, I have had bad hires. I have made mistakes and I go in knowing I'm going to make them. That's the first one. Sure. You can assess experience. You can fact check um, references. At the end of the day, cultural fit and character cannot be told on a piece of paper. You're just going to have to find out. And I had a bad fit at one time for many reasons. The first thing I said was, and this person didn't work directly for me, but someone on my team, the first thing you do, you got to own it. If there's a bad heart on your team, that's a reflection of you as much as whoever made the decision. Two, you know, I find that nobody likes to be defensive. So stating the truth and the obvious and just getting on even understanding of the problem kind of depersonalizes it. So I made a bad hire. Um, and the first thing I asked this person is, are you happy? The answer is no. So, okay, we're asking a lot of confirming questions. Do you like what you do? Are you happy with your manager? Is this what you expected? And now I'm asking the question and this person's providing the answer. Their answers ends up being their truth. Mm. And now, I think there are a lot of complicated things. Sometimes people can't afford to be that straightforward. In my case, this person was straightforward, um, felt the tone, felt the reason for this type of you know, communication between us, and two weeks later, decided to leave the company. That's good. That's effective management at the end of the day. Like you said, we're going to make mistakes. We know that. Is your culture yep. one where you know what fits and what doesn't and do the people know what fits and what doesn't, right? And so I think the most effective cultures I know of, a lot of times it's self-selection in terms of, you know what, it's not good or bad. This isn't the right place for me, right? And so we're going to make mistakes, but the more you can create an environment where you and your team knows it and any individual that comes in knows it, I think is for the best. What about- yeah. By the way, you know, one thing I learned with this individual is just because it didn't work out doesn't mean anybody failed, right? It wasn't the right match and you got to own it too. So I had to say out loud, I misread as much as you misread. So let's figure out how to both move forward because it's very difficult when we avoid the issue, you obligate different reactions. So, you know, for anybody who's in the hiring manager side, you own it too. And it's not bad to say, you know, out loud, you know what, you're right. If we had known X, Y, Z, then we would have known this wasn't a good match. Okay. Let me ask you last hiring question. When it comes to your hiring process, is there a particular technology that you like to use? Do you write down notes? Do you use Excel, Airtable? Like what do you do in terms of capturing notes and kind of assessing, you know, the fit of a candidate after the interview? I'm a OneNote person, uh, Microsoft OneNote. I'm not paid by them. Uh, I struggled with it for a while. And then I, I tried again, you know, maybe three and a half years ago. That that seems to be the way I like to organize my notes. And um, it's easy to search for them later. Um, when I'm in front of a person in like human IRL form, 
Um, I don't do that. I, I, I still think that typing in front of a person in front of you, it can come off, you know, um, how are you building a human connection, right? How are you building yeah. a rapport? How are you right. building an, an experience that they're going to remember and feel good about it? A, exactly. You have a literal wall, you know, of a computer in between you two, and that's not great. So if I'm in front of a person, um, this is all I carry, you know, I've got mechanical pencil and something to write on. And I walk into as many meetings as I can with just that. Um, I'm in a situation where most people around me are projecting with their computers if there's a presentation and it sends a message and I'm here to listen and focus on you. I love that. All right. I want to ask you a couple of things. Let's talk a little bit about, I'm not going to ask you what a day in the life it works like, but I want to ask when you have a productive day, when you come home and you feel good about that day, what might've happened that day? Is it great meetings? Is it a successful win? Is it hitting on a deliverable? What, what, what constitutes a productive day for you in your role? Uh, moving forward, okay. uh, making, you know, making, getting others to agree to a shared vision, moving forward, getting others to agree to a shared next step and a plan, getting alignment on funding. Um, those are big, heavy lifts when you're the owner of a function. So it could be hiring the right talent, bring somebody new on the team. So there are a lot of different ways that you can define a win, but I'm in a department that I started three and a half years ago. So in my case, I'm not lapping anybody but myself and helping this team drive our initiatives and moving forward um, is all I can ask for. I love that. What let's talk out of work. What excites you out of work? What gets you up in the morning? What do you like what outside of your work, which you're obviously very passionate about? What gets you excited? What are you passionate about outside of your work right now at this very moment? Uh, right now, I'm actually going back to Japan, Oz. Again, you just went two months ago. I went in May and I'm going back in December because that region in Japan is one of the top 10 snowiest major cities in the world in December. Now you like, gotta tell you gotta tell the audience what you told me because you went there and there was cherry blossoms and like you were sitting in hot spas and like you just had like the most yeah, incredible it's experience, actually, right? Absolutely idyllic in this northern part of Japan, but in a few months is gonna be covered in snow and they have something called snow monsters, which basically is a trees that are covered in snow that freezes so quickly that they look like white snow monsters in vast land and it's been so dang hot in Texas that I wake up every day dream about snow. So there's always a new mission for me with a new destination and a new adventure. And that's what I live for. Okay. So I got to tell you, I mean, I know you got an Instagram policy when you travel, but do me a favor. You got to send me some pictures of the snow monsters. I want to see that. I want to live that up. Okay. Do that for me. At least it doesn't need to go on social. Just send it to me. You can text me. Okay. I will do that. Um, Instagram is great. It just can't be your whole life. Okay. All right. Good Good advice. Any good books you've read lately? Anything you recommend? I know you're busy with work. Anything that stands out to you? Um, I listen better than I read. I don't read a lot of physical books, but I do um, listen to, I just finished, uh, this was just for fun. I just finished Greenlight. Oh, Which by is, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, no, that is yeah. a book. That is an outstanding book. So I am amazed at how 
you know, for the way he comes across, very casual, rather, uh, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, like having a good time guy, right? Like, he is very grounded and humble and has, like, amazing perspective on life. And that book, Green Lights, I read it a few months ago after I heard him on a podcast. It's an incredible book. You liked it? Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was really good. So uh, I read nonfiction more than fiction, and I find real people's stories fascinating enough versus made up stories yep so i i love biography so um i'm going i just finished that one and i'm in the middle of another one about um anna wintour who is the editor-in-chief of oak i'm sure that's going to be a great um biography i actually watched the beckham documentary the other day with my wife uh and she just randomly appears in there and kind of opining on david and and posh spice so yeah, big Anna went to our fan over here. Um, all right, last question. If you have any advice that you would offer to your 20-year-old self that you didn't know then, but that you know now, or maybe for any of our young listeners in terms of career, what would it be? I would say... Uh, chase your curiosities and don't let perfect get in the way of good. You need to know enough to make the decision and live with the outcome. And it may be good. It may be bad. Or lately, I'd like to say you're either going to win or learn something. Love that. Uh, I think a lot of times people chase perfection. They want to have a holistic view of something before they jump into it or they overanalyze well the the what abouts and the what ifs there's no perfect template for anything in life and especially in career so um do the best you can with the information you have now when you know more do more when you know different do different that's all that, that's what helps me sleep I'm I, doing I, I tell people in our company every day, perfect is the enemy of very good. We want to get shit done here. Okay. Put it mm -hmm. out there and then iterate and improve. And listen, for somebody that's building software, that's a way of life. You put it out there, you have your MVP, you get that's feedback, right. on it, how you get better, but it's the same thing with deliverables, with projects, ask for feedback, get it to where it needs to be. So like, I don't want people to, and listen, when you hire you know, talented people and people who are used to doing well, a lot of times they're perfectionists and that can get in the way of getting things done and doing your best work. So I'm totally with you on that. I think that's fantastic advice. Annabelle, I always enjoy our conversations, but especially today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to this episode coming out. Thank you again. Thanks for the opportunity. See you guys. Bye.